This is Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe. Now, here's Patrick McEnroe. All right, this is a special podcast, everyone, because I am joined for the first time by two people at the same time, two of the all-time great basketball players, the one and only Dirk Nowitzki, the one and only Steve Nash. Gentlemen, it's nice to get you both on the line. How are you guys doing? Great. Great. Thanks, How are you? Thanks for having us. Let's, let, me, let, me, let me start with you, Dirk, because I know, I, first of all, I met you guys years ago at Wimbledon. I can't remember if you were still on the same team at that point. I think you had left to go back to Phoenix at that point, Steve. But let me ask you, Dirk, first off, because I know that you have a longer history in tennis and that you played a lot of tennis growing up in Germany. So tell me about Mm -hmm. your early tennis career. Yeah, so tennis was really the first sport I started playing. Uh, it was more a social thing for my parents. So mm-hmm. they were going to the, to this little, you know, club and they were meeting there with their friends and the kids all day were running around on, on the tennis court. So it was really my first sport I started playing when I was about four or five years old and, and I loved it. So I, I competed, I played some tournaments, uh, in Bavaria at the time and, all the way probably till I was about 14, 15. I actually, um, you know, played pretty competitively a couple of times a week in some tournaments on the on the weekend. So that uh, was really my, my first love. And, of course, Boris Becker and, and Steffi Graf helped that whole, mm-hmm. you know, tennis hype in uh, in Germany. So I was, I was a huge fan of the game, and I still remain close to the game. I still watch it all the time. I try to go to tournaments, and, um, yeah, I'm still, I'm still a huge fan. Now, Steve, when you got into tennis, you correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think it was a little bit later. And, you know, it was sort of during your basketball career, or was it after that? I know you grew up in Canada, then playing in, out in California in college. When did you start getting into tennis? I always loved the games. My, my dad was a fan of the game um, and, and, and ended up becoming a, a player and played a lot in the last kind of 25 years. But um, I didn't really start playing until I retired, so I, I guess like three and a half years ago, joined a tennis club, started playing once a week, then twice a week, and you know just got the bug and, and loved playing the game. But I always loved watching the game. I'm a big fan of the game, and my dad, you know, kind of introduced me to the game. I just didn't play a lot as a kid. Mm-hmm. I played all the team sports. Yeah, you played a lot of soccer, obviously, and you I, I know you're still big into that. But I I have some I have some sources, Steve, and they tell me that you're pretty you know not surprisingly considering how feisty you were on the basketball court and 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 what you managed to pull <laughs> off playing basketball all those years that you're pretty intense competitor on the tennis court. Would that would that be correct? Uh, I I mean that's nice to hear. I, I honestly I I like to compete with myself. It's such a cool thing to learn a new sport. So I definitely. Maybe it's just natural. I, I'm never like I'm not the type of person that's like tight on line calls or you know. Like, I, just, <laughs> right. I, 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 I like to play and I like to try to beat myself, so to speak, and to, to improve and and to be more consistent and not miss and all that stuff. So I, I love the game and getting better at the game. Um, I guess competitive nature is always there, but um, you know, I, I really it's just it's a great experience to try to learn something new. Dirk, when, when honestly, you, I got I got to chime in here. I mean, please. Steve and I used to uh, used to play a little bit in the summer for fitness stuff, and this was like twenty years ago or something. Mm-hmm. And he was horrible, no technique. <laughs> uh, he would run. He would literally run down every ball. He was so annoying to play. He was uh-huh. that guy. 
he was just the ball would just always come back. He's like and that, just see him it, now. Yeah. And just see him now, how far he's gotten in the last couple of years is, is so annoying because he's like he plays <laughs> now like he like he's played for thirty years. I mean, the, the strokes are super clean, they're flat, they're strong, and mm. he's still got the movement. So it's been uh, <laughs> it's been fun to watch how, how he's improved the last last two years just by playing and getting the bug and. And, and he's just a natural athlete because growing up, you know, he can play soccer, volleyball, tennis, I mean, basketball. He can, he's just one of those all-around athletes, and it shows mm. now on the tennis court. Derek, when did you start um, – when, when did you start big-time getting into basketball as a kid? Because obviously you played competitive. Well, when yeah, so when my, did that start? My, so my mom and my, uh, my sister play basketball. So I was always around the sport. Mm-hmm. I was always traveling, supporting my sister and my mom, and then uh, – but, you know, I was, and of course I was tall, so basketball kind of came easy to me. But I, I wasn't a huge fan of the game at first. I played handball, which in Europe is mm. a huge sport. Mm-hmm. Um, so my dad was my coach in handball. So I played handball and, uh, and tennis. Those were my first two sports. And then I started basketball in school first around 12. And then I started to get completely focused on I, I loved it. Became a huge fan of the NBA. Watched every game. So... Uh, then three sports was just too much for me and my school work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, my parents basically made me uh, drop one, and uh, I dropped uh, handball first, and then I played tennis and basketball at the same time for a couple of years before. Then I, I solely focused on basketball when I was about 15. So that was my sports career. I played three sports at the same time, and that's why I was struggling a bit in school, I think is the word. <laughs> <laughs> well, you definitely haven't, didn't struggle on the basketball court. Watching the replays of those fadeaways is just absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. But, you know, watching, watching the both of you guys, as I've, I've done over the last week, just, you know, some of the great games and some of the great series that both of you had on the same team and then on different teams as well, uh, amazed at the intensity and I think what maybe get, gets lost as you know, fans watching is what you guys went through physically. I mean, Steve, I know you, you, you battled back spasms, Dirk watching you, you know, go down, you, you know, go down under with, with Tim Duncan and, you know, just your quick, your quick first step to the left and, and, you know, down on the ground in pain. I mean, how did you guys deal with all that? I mean, throughout your careers, it's just amazing to watch it now, you know, with a little perspective on what you guys did. Steve, why don't you start? Sure. I mean, we, I think it's no secret we both were really hard workers, loved the game. And, and when we got together in Dallas with my third year, it was Dirk's rookie year, you know, it was, it was, it was just a good match. I mean, we, we became friends quickly, and, and the backbone of it was that we both loved the game. So we'd go to the gym twice a day with each other and, um, you know, just always striving to get better. It was We were both obsessed with it. So, it, you know, in, in that respect, that's, that's the secret ingredient. It's not, that's the worst kept secret in the world, but it, it, you know, the best players typically are the guys that really do the work and prepare, you know, Dirk is as driven and, and as hardworking as anyone I've ever seen. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah. You know, when you, as we talk about all the time, you can only really work at something the way we did if, if you really love it, you know, and, and we both did and we worked all the time and almost feel like, you know, I let my team down if I didn't play or if I didn't play well. And, and that always drove me. That always drove me to work hard and, and get better in the summers. And I never really, you know, saw myself as a finished product. I always wanted to work. I always wanted to get better and, and, and add something for the, for the upcoming season and being more better all-around player. And 
you know, and so with the whole injuries and stuff, I always, I always just wanted to be out there. Even if I was just at 60, 70%, I felt like I still can give the team something and my presence gives the team something. So I just uh, always felt like if I don't play, uh, I, let, I let my teammates down. I don't want to say that both you guys, I mean, obviously you come from countries that are not known for great basketball players. Obviously, Dirk, you're <laughs> without a doubt the greatest in the history of, uh, of, of Germany and you, Steve, as well in oh, Canada. Sure. But coming from those places and coming, you know, as, as you guys, I'm not going to say unheralded coming into the NBA, but, you know, you played at a relatively small college. Steve, you were, Dirk, sort of known as the skinny, you know, European guy to the, to the, to the, mm-hmm. to the star works in the NBA. So what was it like coming up? Because I know you had some tough times early on, Dirk, especially you. You know, you were soft. You didn't want to go inside. Mm-hmm. So what, what was the, mm-hmm. it like to adjust to the level of what you needed to do in the NBA week in, week out? Well, for me, it was super hard. Not only uh, adjusting to the NBA style of play, um, but also living uh, abroad for the first time you know, not being with my family. I always lived with my family uh, before. So, you know, there was a little bit of language barrier. Obviously, I, I learned um, English in school, but it was nowhere near um, to what I, what I needed to play in the NBA games. So um, it, was, it was super hard. And I'm always fortunate. I always thank Steve and, and Mike Finley a lot. They're, uh, they mm-hmm. kind of took me under their wings. And, you know, when, when I was lonely in hotels they take me out to eat or meet some of their friends or just always keep me busy and you know introduce me to their friends and uh so i i can uh, you know get comfortable off the floor i always felt like it's hard for me to perform on the court if i don't feel 100 percent well, uh, comfortable off the floor so that was that was huge for me uh finding steve and mike and, and they're still friends to this day and they're supporting me and and wanting me to, to, to succeed. And then, like Steve said, it's, it's still all about hard work. You know, once, once my rookie year was over, I saw I had a few good games there at the end of my first year. And I think more than anything, that came, gave me confidence. It showed me, hey, if you work hard, you can succeed in this league. There is, there is a niche for, for you. And so that's what I try to do after my first year. I, I took zero days off. I played in the national ball. I played summer league. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then by the time my second year came, I felt a lot more comfortable with with the plays, with the sets, with the language, and I had a place to live, I had a car, and uh, that's when I really settled down more was, uh, was my second year, and, and from then on out, it was just all about hard work and improvement. Yeah, I think it. I think it developed into a little more than a niche, Dirk. Uh, the uh, the resume, okay, <laughs> the NBA champ, the All Star, the NBA, NBA Finals MVP, All Star. Steve, you were an All Star a couple of times. Well, many times, but I mean the MVP as well. But when you came in out of Santa Clara, you know you obviously did really well in college, but not a big time college. And I know early on when you went to, with the first couple of years, you with your Phoenix, you you struggled a little bit. What was the transition like for you in trying to figure out where you? fit in in the the NBA picture yeah it wasn't that different from from Dirk I had my struggles I mean you know I I also graduated from college so I gave myself an extra three or four years than than Dirk had you know he came to a new country I'd been living in the states Canada is not that different from the U.S. you know the transition in many ways was was a lot more natural easier for me I did have my struggles early and um you know, it was just a big part of it is, is I, you know, I had to catch up athletically a little bit. Um, also, I think both of us started playing late. You know, I started playing basketball really in eighth grade, 13 years old. 
you know, I think I made a lot of strides the first couple of years in Phoenix, played behind Jason Kidd and Kevin Johnson, but found a way to get minutes, and those guys really believed in me. Got traded to Dallas, the lockout year, the, you know, the, the year Dirk was drafted, and, you know, hurt my back, and, and it was an issue for me the rest of my career, but I, I finally got on top of it a year or two after that, and had a bunch of struggles in Dallas, and I think that was part of the beauty in, in Dallas, that you know, we kind of went through the same things together. Even though I was in my third year, I went through back issues, struggled physically, had to catch up still. Um, Dirk was kind of adapting to a new life in a new country and a new league that, that was obviously a big jump from the German league at the time. But, um, you know, again, there was plenty of times where either one of us could have kind of folded. Um, you know, maybe not like quit the game or left the team or the country, but we could have you know, took our foot off the gas and said, this, is, this isn't happening. But we just love the game so much. We never, never kind of, it never even entered our mind, I don't think. I think we always just thought, like, like Dirk said, had a few games his rookie year. Well, same, I think I'd proven that I could do some things. I just have to put it together that I could do it every night and become consistent and grow in that way. Yeah, you could have probably just sort of gone along for the ride and better set. You know, both of you have been solid NBA players, but not push yourselves. But uh, I think both of you guys have a little chip on your shoulder, and that served you well over the years. With Dirk, when you watch pro tennis now, because, you know, back in the days when I was playing, if you played a guy who was 6'4", 6'5", or over, you're like, oh, this guy can't play. He can't move at all. All I got to do is get a serve back. But now you see, yeah. I mean, like we've seen in basketball, where you got guys that are 6'7", six, 6'8", six, that can move as as well as guys that are 6'2", 6'3", like you, Steve. So maybe, Dirk, when you were coming up, if you were coming up now, who knows? Maybe you would have stuck with tennis a little longer because just, yeah, I'm really tall. Like you said, it helped you in basketball. But look at these guys playing at this height now in tennis. Yeah, I know. Amazing uh, where the game has grown, obviously, the last 20, 30 years. And, uh, you know, for me, I was so tall for tennis at the time that I was I was almost uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, there were there were pictures I look at now where I'm almost double the size of the guy that I'm playing, and I feel, almost feel like you know I was a little you know uncomfortable in my skin with mm-hmm. my height and everything. So I think honestly, I felt more comfortable around basketball guys that were all tall, and I kind of could relate to them. So maybe that was even why. It helped me to, to steer me to basketball, to be to be more comfortable, to be more myself and not be always conscious about how tall I am. So maybe now being around tennis players that are taller themselves, it would it would have helped me sticking around. But that was definitely an issue for me. I was I was I was always conscious that I was way too tall and the tennis didn't help at the time. And obviously in basketball, guys, there's a there's a there's a one-on-one dynamic to it, especially for someone like you, Dirk, that would go one-on-one down low with the likes of Tim Duncan that we talked about and take him on. But but Steve, you were you were sort of the quarterback, weren't you? I mean, that's the key to being a great point guard. I mean, obviously you could shoot the lights out, but watching highlights of you and going back on your career, your it, it seems like your goal always in the beginning of the game was to get your teammates involved, wasn't it? For sure. I mean, I think. Like tennis, basketball's changed so much. So I don't think playing point guard nowadays, kids are taught to, you know, pass first or, you know, we, we through analytics and all these things that, you know, point guards do attack. And if the point guard can score, score. And so these kids grow up, I think, today with a little different kind of approach to the game. When I grew up, point guard was, was you know, pa- I was taught, you know, pass first, run your team, be in control of the game, the tempo, you know, those type of things that, for me, it was like, make your shots, you know, be five of eight instead of, you know, eight of 18. 
and make your shots and make plays for your teammates. So that was the approach. I think I had to learn it. Nelly, when he coached, coached us, you know, he really, he got in my ass a lot about being more aggressive to score. And, and to his credit, he helped me, I think, become an all-star in that respect because, you know, he was like, I, you know, you can pass all you want, but you, when you're open, you have to score. And if you're creating opportunities for yourself, it's selfish if you don't score. So that was a big transition for me becoming, you know, I was still always had a pass first mentality, but he really enforced me just be aggressive, you know, be aggressive to make plays and what's open is open. You can't turn down scoring opportunities. And But the game's changed so much that that's not necessarily the way kids are taught to play nowadays. So, Dirk, if Roger Federer were a basketball player, who would he be? <laughs> oh, well, I mean, he's pretty close to Michael Jordan, right? Okay. I, mean, I, I grew up in the 90s, and Jordan is obviously when I started watching, Jordan was the GOAT, and, I mean, Roger, is, to me, is the, the GOAT of tennis, uh, even though there's this is an unbelievable generation that's playing right now with obviously Nadal being so dominant on clay and really everywhere now, and now Nolis coming on. I mean, what a what a generation uh, we have three at three at the same time. But uh, to me, Roger, the way he plays with with style and just can play all surfaces. Uh, I mean, he's got to be pretty much to, close to, to MJ. So, Steve, if 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 Rafael Nadal were a basketball player, who would he be? I mean, it's there's two different things. If you want to make him a you know like his career matched up with a basketball player, you can make the case that he's Jordan. You can make the case that he's, you know, whoever at the top of the list, obviously, he's, you know, unbelievable and, and, and as great a fighter as he's ever had in any sport like Jordan. But, um, you know, his game, he's, he's, it's such a different view of a tennis player because, like, I mean, this guy might have been able to play in the NFL. Mm-hmm. He was just so explosive and strong. He could have been an incredible defensive back or something and just, as that kind of like build and body that matches that uh, mentality, you know, like you, you just, I don't know, there's got to be an intimidation when you're playing him because, you know, physically he's going to go to the wall, you know, mentally he's going to go to the wall. So, you know, that's a little bit like, uh, you know, Jordan too, as we've watched in this documentary. I mean, just his mentality is off the charts. Um, you know, I'm sure Rafa doesn't give Uncle Tony quite a hard time as, uh, MJ gave his team but, uh, <laughs> No, no, watching that documentary too in the last couple of weeks has been wild. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And, and, those guys, I mean, incredible. I mean, you look at the each of their resumes, you know, Djokovic, Federer, and Nadal. I mean, you can make a case for all three of them being the greatest player of all time, and they're not done yet. Yeah, and Djokovic yeah. is certainly working his way uh, closer and closer. And when you look at sort of the, the his his attitude, Dirk reminds me actually a little bit of your of you two guys coming from a country, obviously they're not known for its tennis tradition. They've had some really good players recently in Serbia and had a couple of great female players. But Djokovic comes mm-hmm. from that background too, where you know tennis isn't um, the country club type sport that certainly it could be in this country and in a lot of European countries as well. But he he sort of worked his way up too, where you know like you guys, Dirk, and when you started, you were sort of fighting to find your way and find your place and then you know you kept developing you kept working hard you hit the gym you got tougher um you developed a couple more moves so do you when you look at Djokovic and seeing the way he's kind of trying to catch up to Federer and Nadal and he's and he's been able to do it yeah I mean he's obviously an incredibly hard worker you can tell uh his, his fitness level and you know I think really his, his breakthrough was there was it 2010 2011 when he won like the first 40 matches on when he went gluten free mm-hmm. all of a sudden uh, cause you know, we always, 
Yeah, he used to spend matches and stuff, and he was, he was getting cramps and stuff, and all of a sudden, his fitness level went uh, went through the roof. And uh, I think, you know, that's obviously a good lesson that uh, the diet is, is very important. And we didn't know much about diet 10, 20 years ago as much as we do now. So, But he's always had the hard work, and he's gotten better. His fitness gotten better, and then uh, he was uh, he's just so tough. And I love, I mean, I love his mindset. You know, it's almost like when, when the stadium, when he plays better or something, and the whole stadium shouts against him you see him nodding like okay watch this i got something for you <laughs> right, and it's almost like right. he takes he takes his competitiveness to another level i mean he's he's a beast i mean he's all around game and he never you know his, his return game is unbelievable and he's like he's quick he's like he's like a cat out there mm. doing splits and all sorts of stuff i mean he's, he's amazing to watch as well incredible incredible flexibility from that guy yeah. now now steve break down right now for me you guys you know the 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 pandemic is over we can all go out and do our thing i know you guys doing a lot of charity stuff in your post-playing career which is awesome but take me out you know private court out there or club or, or public court nash versus nowitzki um, on the tennis court, two out of three. Break down for me how this thing's going to play out. Well, luckily for me, the guy's ankle is basically locked. Uh, <laughs> so so mo- movement's become an issue. Uh, he's not quite the, uh, you know, the, the fleet of foot uh, stretch four that we got used to, you know, in the early 2000s. But uh, I would have a hard time with the serve. That thing's coming straight down. Mm-hmm. Might even bounce over my head a couple times. But, uh I don't know. I, if I can, if I can stay in a few points and make him move around, I might have a chance. All right, Dirk. And what, what's your game plan? Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, like you said, I, I left it all out there on the basketball court. It's been a little frustrating for for me not to play as much tennis as I want to, and um, so I played I played doubles here and there last summer, but it's it's been hard. My foot's uh, been bothering me a lot. So yeah, I'll give I'll give. Steve, uh, obviously, they're not there. The way he plays, he still moves. Uh, I, I would have to obviously try to keep the points as short as possible. Try to be <laughs> Try to kill the kill, kill it off the return. Kill right. off the servant. You know, keep keep the points uh, as short as possible. Which obviously all big guys try to do. You right. never want to try to get in a movement game with with the with the little guys. So uh, that that would be the only game plan. But I don't. Uh, I think Steve. Now, technically, it's too good to, for me to just overpower. Well, you know, that movement helps around the tennis court. That speed helps. You got a guy, though, in your, in your state there, Dirk, that knows a little bit about that power game, Mr. John Isner. I know he's helped you out yeah. with your charity for down sure. there. And his, you yeah. know, the way he's taken care of his body has been impressive to me in his latter mm-hmm. years on tour that he's still able to go out there and play at a high level with that big, big serve and that big body. Yeah, John's my guy. Uh, you know, he lives here in, in Dallas now, so uh, we we text all the time. And uh, unfortunately, I don't see him as much. He's got two little kids as well, and um, so he's he's staying busy. Uh, but yeah, just phenomenal to see. I think where he, he played college for for a few years, and nobody thought that he can be you know like that top ten for for a long, long time. So you got to give him credit. He he worked for it. He worked on his movements. Uh, and the, the, his forehand and serve are just so lethal that uh, he's just so hard to deal with. So I think he, uh, he, he turned himself into one heck of a player for, for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. So, so give him credit. Well, listen, you guys, it's been awesome having you both on. I mean, we could go on for hours and hours about your playing careers, which I've uh, 
educated myself on even more. And what a pleasure to talk to both of you and to see what you guys did throughout your careers. All the dedication and the intensity is amazing. I'm going to take that to my kids back at our tennis academy when we finally come back. I appreciate both of you coming on. Steve, you keep, um, you keep, you know, work on that, that power game too. Now, we know you got the speed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I got, I got some. I got a ways to go, but uh, you'll be hearing from. Me. All right, sounds good. <laughs> Dirk Nowitzki and uh, Steve Nash, good. two of the all-time greats. Thank you so much, guys. Uh, thanks, so much. You, you guys oh, take thank it you. easy. Take care. Yep. Bye bye. Bye bye. Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse Media. Mm-hmm.